0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, thank you, Chris, and... Chris has been doing a great job leading us through this series, Epic, that's talking about um, God's story and how God's story intersects our story and how God's involved in our life. And we're talking this morning about the presence of God on earth, particularly we're going to look at the Old Testament to start with. Before we get into the message, let's just pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand how we relate to you through your Bible, but through your spirit. God, thank you that you love us, that you come to us, that you want us to have a relationship with you. And we pray all this in the name of your son Jesus, amen. So I have a question for you. So let's say you're gonna set up a lunch appointment with somebody, let's say you're a guy, and you say, hey, uh, <clears throat> can you have lunch with me next Tuesday? Let's say 11 o'clock. And then the guy responds to you and he says, well, let me look at my calendar. And he says, well, I fly to California on Friday. I get back on Monday. When I get back, we have a board meeting with our investors. On Tuesday, I meet with our biggest client. And then I teach my daughters, or I have soccer practice that night. But yeah, I, I could do lunch uh, uh, at Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And you're like, OK. Why did you just tell me, like, in your mind, you're thinking, well, it's great. But all I really really wanted to know was, can you meet next Tuesday at 11? But this guy goes on to tell you his calendar. Well, what's he saying? You know what he's saying. He's saying, I'm important. I have all this stuff going on in my life. Now, we all do this. Now, guys especially, let's admit it. We we, we do this maybe more than others. But we all do this because we want to be recognized. We want to be known. We want someone to think that we're important, right? that we're somebody, and we all have this. We want to be seen, and I want you to know this morning that God sees you, that God knows you, that God sent his son Jesus to save you. God sees everything about your life. Think about it this way. Let's say you go over here to Sierra's for lunch after church. In fact, now that I'm saying that, actually sounds like a good idea. Um, But let's say we do, and you walk in, and the hostess seats you, and she's walking you to the table. And you see her, right? But my question is, do we really see her? Because God sees her. And then you sit down at the table and somebody comes to take your order and you see them and they see you and you might even learn their name. Hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm your server. You might know their name, but do you know anything about them? Not really. But here's the thing, God knows everything about your server and then there's other sons and daughters of god working there right they're wiping the tables and they're making the food and they're cleaning the bathroom and they're wiping the floor they may not even speak our language and guess what my question is do you see them let's be honest do we even notice them here's the great thing about god god sees them god is present with them god knows every single detail of their life. I was thinking about this idea that God sees. And there's a name in the Old Testament for God. And the name is Elroy. I don't know if you ever heard this. It's a Hebrew word. And it's in its Elroy, Elroy sees those people working. Elroy sees people in our lives that we don't see. That name actually was given to God by an immigrant, by a slave girl It's pretty interesting. Did you know that? That a woman gave God a name in the Old Testament. God gave God a new name. So here's the story. I'll try to summarize it for us. Abraham's wife, Sarah, wants to have a baby. She's not able to have a baby. So she forces her slave, her maid, Hagar, to sleep with Abraham so that she can uh, have a child. And so she does. And then The question is, why did Sarah want to have a baby? Well, she wanted to be a mom. That's true. But let's be honest. Didn't she also just want to feel valued? Because in that culture, value came from having children. She wanted to be valued by her husband. She wanted to be valued by the community. She wanted to be seen. She wanted to be known. Well, God does give Sarah a child through Hagar. Hagar becomes pregnant and then shocker, guess what? Sarah gets jealous of Hagar, shocker. And she sends her away, she runs her off. And now Hagar is all alone in the wilderness and nobody wants to be all alone. Nobody wants to be by themselves, but God. God sees her, God's watching the whole thing happen. In Genesis chapter 16, verse seven, the angel of the Lord found, look at that, look at that word, found Hagar. The angel said, The Lord has heard your misery. You see, God sees Hagar, and He responds. Look at that word. God found Hagar. The angel found Hagar, which means that God was looking for her, that God was watching her, that God was present with her. And that's just true of you and me. God is present everywhere all the time with everybody. And then jump down to verse 13. Hagar gave this name to God who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. That's the Hebrew word, Elroy. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Well, fast forward in the story. Hagar goes back to Sarah, cause that's what the angel tells her to do. She gives birth to her son that she's gonna give to Sarah named Ishmael. And Ishmael grows up. Let's, scholars think he's, a, he's around a young teenager, maybe 13, we're not sure and then God does a miracle, and Sarah, who's not able to have children, now becomes pregnant. Well, shocker again, she gets jealous, Sarah gets jealous of Ishmael. And guess what? Once again, she runs her off. Genesis chapter 21, God, catch this phrase right here, God was with Ishmael as he grew up. Now, if you know history, you may know that Ishmael was not a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael was not a part of the Israelites moving forward, and yet, what's the Bible say? God was with Ishmael. That's the great thing about our God. The presence of God is with everyone, everywhere, all the time. Theologically, we call this, God is omnipresent. God's everywhere, all the time, with everybody. Well, fast forward in the story. Sarah has her own son, Isaac. Genesis chapter 26 verse 24, that night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the Lord your God, the father of Abraham. Do not be afraid, here's the phrase again, catch this, I am with you, I will bless you, I will increase you in numbers and your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac is the father of a guy named Jacob who is also called Israel from which the 12 tribes come, right? Well fast forward again in the story, if you can follow all this, Jacob, has many sons. Joseph is one of his youngest sons. And in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with, there's the phrase again, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Joseph then is sold into slavery, into Egypt. He finds himself in prison and then jump down to verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, here's the phrase again, the Lord was with him. Are you beginning to see a pattern? God was with Hagar, God was with Ishmael, God was with Isaac, God is with Joseph. After God takes Joseph out of prison, he puts him in charge uh, of the entire land of Israel for Pharaoh. And in verse 23, it says, because the Lord was with Joseph. And then toward the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph brings his father Jacob, or also called Israel, to the land of Egypt because of the severe famine. And listen to what Jacob says in verse 40 uh, genesis 48 verse 15 god has been my shepherd i love this phrase god has been my shepherd all of my life what's he saying he's saying god has been with me the presence of god has been with me all of my life and then right before jacob dies he tells joseph in genesis 48 verse 21 god will be with you so god is with joseph and his family we'll fast forward again pharaoh and jacob and joseph they all die the people of israel uh, stay in Egypt for 400 years. They become slaves. You probably know the story, right? And then in Exodus chapter 3, Elroy, the God who sees, the God of the slave girl Hagar sees the Israelites. And in Exodus 3, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen Elroy. I have seen the oppression. And then God raises up a guy named Moses who's gonna rescue God's people from Egypt and in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 God tells Moses I will what be with you I mean the phrase it's all through the Old Testament if you just look for it not only does God use Moses to lead the people out of Egypt the presence of God now manifests itself as this unique pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night and leads the people out of uh, Egypt through the Red Sea. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 19, the pillar of cloud. This is the presence of God. God's manifest presence also moved from the front because God was leading them, stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. And then as Moses leads Israel fast-forward again toward the promised land this same presence of God that's manifest by a cloud by day and fire by night continues to lead the manifest the presence of God leads God's people forward and then Moses establishes on God's direction a new way for Israel to worship God to remember God's faithfulness numbers chapter 9 verse 15 on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law is, was set up. That cloud, and what does this represent? The presence of God. The cloud was covering it from evening till morning. The cloud, the presence of God above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued, meaning God continued to be with them, right? And the cloud covered it. By night, it looked like fire. Jump down to verse 22 whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, a month, a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. At the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord in accordance to what, the, what he commanded through Moses. So this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire, it's like God's grace. It's God's gift because it was a reminder to Israel that God is saying what? I am with you just like he was with Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and Joseph. He's saying to the people, I'm with you through this manifest presence. Moses actually says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, look at this. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, catch this, the way that the Lord our God is near us when we pray to him? Moses recognized that God was with them, near them to them. Fast forward again, Moses dies, Joshua takes over, and God told Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse five, as I was with Moses, here's the phrase again, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Are you seeing the pattern that God is with Hagar and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Joshua? And then the New Testament starts. And Matthew writes in Genesis chapter one, Verse 23, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and you will bear a son, and she will bear a son, and call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. Just like God had been with Hagar, and Ishmael, and Isaac, and Joseph, and, and so now in Jesus Christ, God is available and with Israel and with all nations. Matthew is simply quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that was prophesied 700 years before. Matthew understood that at the birth of Jesus Christ, it meant that God is now Emmanuel. God is with all of us. And we celebrate this at Christmas, right? We celebrate that God is with us, Emmanuel. The culmination of the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, and we should celebrate that. But did you know there's more? When God came to earth and he put on flesh, it also fulfilled the prophecy from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, when God says, I'll pour out my spirit on who? Israel? All people. All nations. You see, God's promise has always been to pour out his spirit and his presence on all nations, on all people. And Mo- Moses says all the way back in Numbers chapter 11, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And listen to what he says. And that the Lord would his, put his spirit on everybody. I mean, Moses had the spirit. Moses met with God face to face and Moses says, I've experienced, I wish everybody could experience this, what I'm experiencing. Well, this is a real brief history of the presence of God in the Old Testament. Then the Old Testament changes into the New Testament in one moment in history. You know what it is? The presence of God, the Spirit of God, the closeness of God, the proximity of God changes in an instant when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here's the temple. I think we have a picture of it on the screen. You you may know in the holy of holies there was this uh, or in the temple inside of that there was a holy of holies and there was a veil a curtain that divided the presence of god that cloud and that fire that was in there from the people on the outside and at the moment that jesus died the bible says that curtain was torn from top to bottom it opened up and at jesus death god moved out of the temple the holy of holies and where did he move into the church right here among us because He came to dwell in your life and in my life by taking up residency in your heart and my heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Jesus, you too are being built together to become what? The dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Paul is saying to this newfound church that this new unified group of believers, different nations, Jews and Gentiles and different kinds of people are all coming together, loving each other. And guess what? He says, you replace the Holy of Holies. God no longer lives there. Now he lives in you. Does that blow your mind? Blows my mind every time I think about it, every time I read it. You and me, people that used to never be able to get along, different nations, different races, different tongues, different people who used to have no reason to love each other, now in Jesus Christ, love one another and become the presence, the very dwelling place of God. The presence of God moved out of the temple and into your heart and into my heart. Why? So that we'd never be alone. We'd never be alone, just like Hagar found out that the presence of God comes to be with us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, look at that in verse. You become the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The very presence of God that led Israel by a cloud in history that leaves the temple and takes up permanent residency in your heart and mind when we invite Him. And then this indwelling Holy Spirit gives us power in this life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What? Power to love, power to forgive. The Bible says that the indwelling presence of God inside of a Christian gives us, there's a whole list, comfort, the fruits of the Spirit, it testifies to the truth, it guides our prayers, it convicts us of sin, it leads us to repentance. I mean, the Holy Spirit does all of these things when He takes up residency in our life. Now, many times this morning, I've said this phrase, the presence of God is with everyone all the time in all places. But I want to make a distinction so that you grasp this or I, that I grasp this, and then I communicate it clearly. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is working in the world. And he's working in everyone's life. That's one way the Holy Spirit works or, or exists. He, the presence, presence of God is working in the world. Then the Holy Spirit also lives or dwells in the soul, in the life, in the inner being of a Christian. So there's a difference between the working of the Holy Spirit and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. You follow what I'm saying? And it's important to understand. Think of it this way. A Christian person um, or a non-Christian person really comes down to the definition of the proximity of the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit in relation to that person? Because where the Holy Spirit is in relation to that person defines if they're a Christian or not a Christian. Let me ask you a question. Put it to you this way. Is God working in your life? The answer is 100% yes. God is working in your life. God is working in the world. God is working in your neighborhood. God is working in your kids' lives. God is working in every single nation. Whether they recognize it or not, the Holy Spirit is working. That's what He does. He's calling people to Himself. He's 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 creating a conviction inside of all people to come to Him. Whether you recognize it or not, God is present. It's theologically true, omnipresent. God is everywhere, all the time, with everybody. But here's the distinction. A Christian is a person who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, dwelling inside of them. A non-Christian has the Holy Spirit working in their life, but the Spirit has not moved in yet because they haven't invited him yet. See the difference? A Christian is someone who's invited God and asked God to live inside of them. A, a non-Christian may sense the presence of God, but hasn't invited him. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person, or the non-Christian, does not un- accept things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to them, or folly, I think it says. He's not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. They need the filter, who is the Holy Spirit, to understand God's things. Paul is saying it takes God's Spirit living inside of you to understand God's things. When Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I keep asking that our Lord of our Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, this is what he wants for them and for us today, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'd know God better. Don't you want to know God better? I want to know God better. And he says Paul's praying for the church that they would know God better by receiving this spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does that word mean? The word here means the unveiling of God. It means that the, the spirit of God is able to show you things that you would not be able to understand without the spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in our lives, and it it takes the blinders off. It helps us to see what we couldn't otherwise see right before Jesus was going to leave. In John chapter 16, he tells his disciples that he's going to leave. And one of his big announcements was about this spiritual transaction that was going to happen. John chapter 16, verse 7, but I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come. But if I go, I will send him. I'll send that Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit comes, he will do what? Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where they can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's the devil. The devil's condemned. And then he says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can basically now bear. In other words, you'll understand it later, but I just got to tell you this now, and then it'll come around. And we have the hindsight of history. Look, look at verse 8 with me. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin in regard, in regard to sin, convict of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Look at verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. The main thing that God was sending the Holy Spirit to do, the presence of God inside of of any person, was to bring conviction that God is real and that we need God. So this working of the Holy Spirit is working in our neighborhood and working in our lives and working in nations, trying to convict people to realize they need God. That's the working of the Holy Spirit, to bring this conviction and only the Holy Spirit can do it. It sounds like this, it's a whisper sometimes. And it's God says, you need me. You feel it in your heart. I care about you. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let me in. You know that I'm real. Jesus said it this way in Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, what's Jesus say? I'll come in. He's whispering saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a non-Christian knocking and calling and bringing conviction. Now, let's consider the working of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. What does that look like? Well, think of it this way. Jesus is 100% man, right? Jesus is 100% God, but he's a 100% man. He's a human being. And then Jesus has great faith, and he does miracles. We don't know if it was hundreds. We don't know if it was thousands, and he did it as a human being. He did it with the same kind of flesh that you and I have. And you're like, wait a second. I thought he did it because he was Jesus. He was Jesus. But he did it because he had perfect faith in a God who had power to put God's powerful spirit in him. And he let God work through him. And then guess what? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Have you ever seen this in Luke chapter 3, verse 22? The Holy Spirit at his baptism descended on Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself the question, wait a second, Jesus is God, why does He need the Holy Spirit? I mean, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Because He's 100% human. Just like you and me, He needs outside help. He needs power. The short answer of why Jesus needed the Holy Spirit is because in everything that Jesus did, He was setting an example for you and for me. So then if you jump down to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was, look at this, full of the Holy Spirit. He returned to the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit. Over and over again, the Bible shows us that, have you noticed it? That Jesus submitted himself to God, to God's Spirit, to God's leadership, to God's power. It wasn't in his flesh, in his human body, that he did what he did. He did it because God worked in him. He submitted to the holy spirit and we are supposed to be like jesus matthew chapter 11 verse 29 jesus said learn from me do what i do be like me so we're supposed to rely on god's power and presence just like jesus did you may remember in the old testament they would if they pulled somebody aside and set them aside for for ministry they would anoint them anoint them with oil to set them aside to indicate that they're set aside for god's purpose have you ever Recognize this verse when uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter ten, Peter go gets called by God to go to Cornelius's house and to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his family. Have you ever noticed what he says in verse thirty-eight, Acts chapter ten, verse thirty-eight? God anointed Jesus not with oil, with the Holy Spirit and power, because Jesus was God. What? God anoints Jesus with the Spirit because God was with him. That phrase, God was with, I thought that was Emmanuel. So now God is being Emmanuel to Emmanuel, if you follow that. It's awesome. The Father anoints the Son with the Spirit, and we should learn to rely on this Spirit. And then this plan of anointing Jesus with the Spirit doesn't end with him Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 God has anointed who us God has anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and he put the Holy Spirit the same anointing that Jesus gets with the Holy Spirit from God we get the anointing of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian here this morning you are God's anointed God's Spirit lives inside of you Paul says it this way 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit lives in you? That's the wonder of the Christian life. We are born again. We're made new. We're alive. We're forgiven. We're at peace. We're accepted. We belong. We're never alone. And God's Spirit lives in you. Maybe you've been hearing all this that we've been talking about this morning about the Spirit of God living inside, making someone a Christian, and it makes you wonder, well, wait a second. Do I have the Spirit of God living in me? Am I a Christian? Remember what he says in J- John chapter 16, verse 8 the Spirit will convict the world because men do not believe. Friends, the, the Bible says that the unbelief or the refusal to trust in Jesus is what the Holy Spirit has come to remove from us. He wants to remove our unbelief. And maybe you feel like God is knocking on the door of your heart or arranging things in your life to see what you haven't seen before. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you might be sitting here this morning hearing this and going, yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's what I need to do. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to call. You've got to ask. You've got to invite that Holy Spirit that works in the world to live inside of your life. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? If that's you, while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed here, and you want God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to know that you're a Christian, then you just pray the simple prayer. Use my words as your own. You can pray it silently. Just say something like this to God. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be Emmanuel, to be with me so that I'm never alone. God, I invite you into my life. Holy Spirit, come, live inside of me. I turn from my sin, then I turn to you. God, for anybody that's prayed that as a 1st time or as a recommitment, we just pray, God, that you would give them the courage to share that decision with someone else, even today, before they leave. God, thank you that you work in the world, And you give the opportunity to live in the life of a Christian. To give us power, to give us hope, to give us new life, to set your seal on us, to stamp us and seal us for heaven. And we're grateful in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.